Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take us off course. So we help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Another great week, another great show. Moreover, our commitment to excellence here knows no bounds. We have upgraded some of our audio recording equipment for your benefit. So we hope, the royal we, that you enjoy this podcast. Give us some feedback. If you feel the audio quality is worse, we'll, worse, we'll ditch this stuff. But for now, hope you enjoy it. What we've got on tap for you this week, three data points. The first article we're going to look at is regarding timing. Financial Times article, it's a great one. Uh, this was a recirculated article that actually originally came out on August 25th of 2023. However, it was so good um, when I read the recirculated, I mean, that they, they changed a couple data points and put it out, but it was so good it merited being on the show. We're then going to look at a style, investment style graph and the returns of each investment style, value, growth, small, mid, large, what we can learn from it. And then in closing, we're going to focus on the purchasing power of a dollar over the years and the erosion known as inflation that has occurred in that purchasing power. There are going to be some takeaways for you as an investor as a result. Let's get it started. Let's go to the top here. Financial Times, off, um, journalist Robin Wigglesworth, which... I love that last name, Wigglesworth. Timing is hard, really, really, really hard. <clears throat> Came out August 25th. Yes, that happens to be my birthday. No, do not send gifts. I've, you guys have been so kind to want to send me Venmos and Hillstone gift cards, etc., etc. You're too nice. You're too nice. Don't do it. So this article um, starts with Mr. Stanley Druckenmiller, who is supposedly the greatest macro investor of all time. And he said, this is last April, he said, his only conviction trade was to short the dollar. Since then, the index climbed over 2%. Whoops. Whoopsies. Morningstar comes out with a study that talks about how difficult timing is. I had a delightful lunch with a friend this week where we were discussing the appropriate time to invest, the appropriate time to put money in the market. And it can be a real challenge. I think it's counterintuitive to really put on our blinders, forget about our time, and just do it for the long haul. But this study I felt was really instructive. Morningstar, uh, they have a group that looks at the gap between the average returns investors actually experience and the total returns of investment funds. Now, that deserves a little explanation. The, actu the average returns the investors experience are what investors actually get to take home in a sense, meaning uh, this is what happens when you invest in March and maybe you sell in October or you invested in February and you held to the end of the year, but you were, you were timing. You were, you're trying to, the total returns of the investment funds, they actually look at January to December 31st. So these, so these average returns that they actually experience, these investors, they include some market timing. Here's what it says. You know this is going to be good. In this year's study, this is Jeffrey Patek at Morningstar, he says, we found the average dollar invested in funds earned a 6% annual return 
over the 10 years ended December 31st, 2022. This is across a variety of styles of investment. While the average fund gained about 7.7% per year. That's a gap of 1.7% annually. Now this article says, hey, this makes the active versus passive argument silly. It's a sideshow compared to the actual cost investors have of getting in and out of funds at the wrong time. Well, they both matter. And we can win at both. They both matter. And we can win at both. Well, how so? They list the various funds and the delta, the difference, between what the investor returns were and what the actual fund returns were. And do you know where the gap was the largest? Do you know where the gap was the largest, where what investors got was a considerable amount less than what the actual funds returned? Sector equity funds. I'll say that again. Sector equity funds. These are funds that slice and dice the market, and they might be industrials or energy or consumer durables or tech, whatever. Investors are more prone to want to buy that in February and sell it in October or June. Try to ride the momentum because they think at this particular time, they get the investor returns were 6.42%. The fund returns were 10.8, leaving a delta of about 4.3. You lagged the fund by 4.3. Ugh. Now, it is also instructive to notice where was the delta the smallest? Where was it the smallest? In the allocation fund, the allocation funds, these are funds that are like 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and fixed. So these are funds that are already allocating for you where the type of investor is more of a long-term hold investor. The gap is very, very small. 0.46 is the gap. 0.46. So that should tell us a lot, meaning, okay, well, maybe we're not very good at timing. In fact, if these, you know, the greatest macro investors of all time are bad at it, what shot do you and I have? It then goes on to point out that third points Daniel Loeb, who I've heard of this name. I assume this is another hot shot investor. They actually nailed the bottom of the 2022 bear market, arguing in a letter to investors that people were overly bleak on the economy. The article says, unfortunately, as the hedge fund manager said in the latest missive, that didn't help much. Do you hear that? Even if you know. Well, the tea leaves are telling you, even if you seek to act on those, you may not get it right. Daniel Loeb writes, Last October, we correctly observed that markets bottom when economic data looks most bleak and pessimism is high. At that time, inflation still seemed to be accelerating, rates were rising, and the consensus belief was that only a powerful medicine of Fed hikes and a severe recession could break the fever of relentless inflation. Ooh. Now, what this guy later says is, um... Unfortunately, rather than expressing this constructive view by investing heavily in high-quality tech companies with earnings growth growth and obvious choice in hindsight, we primarily committed capital to value situations, which have underperformed. What he's trying to do is hard. You and I would be no better than him. He's Mr. Daniel Loeb at third point is far better than us at this game. It's just such a difficult game. Even he knew the right answer, knew the right data, and still flunked the test, still bombed it bombed it. So as an investor, what this Morningstar data communicates loud and clear, this is evidence that demands a verdict, is that no, we have absolutely no business hopping in and out of the market. We have absolutely no business trying to 
hop in when we think it's opportune. We can kind of trick ourselves into that. I certainly can. So let us now transition to a return graphic. This is one year in review. And it looks at value stocks, core, that's blend, growth stocks, small, mid, and large cap for the last year. Now check this out. I want to start this with a story. The Yale's endowment chief, David Swinson, who has sadly passed away and is the father in many respects of the modern endowment investment theory that's been replicated across a number of endowments now. When he showed up at Yale, he decided, you know what? What asset class has just done great over the last hundred or so years? I'm just going to invest in that. We'll call it a day. This was his first kind of idea at Yale. They gave him a blank sheet of paper. Hey, man, just figure it out. Make us money, whatever. You know what he found out? Small cap value. These are smaller companies with typically low price-to-earnings ratios and kind of stodgy old-line businesses. They had the greatest returns over the last hundred or so years. So he thought to himself, well, why don't I just put all my money in that? Why am I messing around with any of this other stuff? I'll just do small cap value. And the more he thought about it, I think, you know, the volatility, and it, it was breathtaking volatility. There are many moments that were small cap value dropped 70%. The market would not be down that much. So he elected to invest in a whole host of asset classes and do a bunch of other stuff. And But that always stuck out with me. And I always thought, huh, I wonder if an enterprising investor could have looked at that data and said, you know what, I know you can't handle the volatility, Mr. Swenson and Yale, but what if I could? What if I could just pick the right asset class, forget everything else, Rumpelstiltskin, wake up in 50 years, and I'll be better off? Well, let's review how that went this past year, shall we? Drum roll, please. Coming in last in the last year's investment returns is small cap value with down 6%. Coming in last, there are nine style boxes here. Small cap, mid cap, large cap, value blending growth. Coming in first, that's right, large cap growth at 36.87% return in the last year. Now, large cap blend, which is what you should have been investing in effectively, is it's essentially Vanguard's uh, VTI, Vanguard's total Stock market indices, it came in at 16.8%. So that's a, you did close to that the past year. Well, where are my small cap value boys? Where are we? Are we at this point when the data like this comes out? Are you sticking with your 100 year horizon? Are you struggling? Are you sweating bullets? I'll tell you what I'd be doing sweating bullets. Investing is humbling enough that even if the 100 year chart says, whoa, whoa, whoa wait. Small cap value may have said that, but what, what if it doesn't stick with that? Well, we have to have the humility to say, you know, I don't think we can handle this sort of underperformance because there's always that doubt in your head that what if it was an aberration? What if I'm going to enter into a 30-year period that would particularly be bad for small cap value? It is an insane asylum at the end of the day if you think you can keep up with these sector-style bets more style bets, not sector, style bets on small cap value stocks. Don't try it. Stick with just your plain vanilla, large cap blend. And effectively, it's a total stock market, which is VTI. It's about 80% large cap blend, about 20% small mid cap. And just don't worry about it. Don't think twice about it. Keep moving on. Now, the 
smart aleck in the room might say, well, no, wait, 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 wait. Isn't your whole investment philosophy on back-tested data? Why can't we apply that to small cap value? Well, kind of, kind of not. There's a sense where, yes, we do have to rely on historic data, but we're going to control what we can. We're going to control what we can. And by keeping our investing simple, we're going to be able to stick with it a whole lot longer. By controlling for cost, we know we'll outperform. We'll have a better tax efficiency. We'll have a longer time horizon because we're not hopping in and out of certain styles of investment. So be willing to be plain vanilla. It certainly paid off in this past year. It may not in the future. I just as easily could have read the inverse data that small cap value was up 36% and, and large cap growth was down 6%. It wouldn't change the advice. By sticking with simple, you're going to last longer as an investor. That is what's going to give you a real shot to actually stick with this thing over the long haul. And then in closing, our final data point, we're going to look at a dollar's worth. So it appears as though inflation has slowed. It appears as though we may have these difficult inflationary times behind us. But I think it's important for folks who think cash can be a long-term investment solution for them to evaluate the erosion in the value of the dollar over time. I think, especially right now, the Vanguard Money Market Fund at 5.3%, VMFXX, is a wonderful place to park cash for a home remodel, home down payment, pool construction, trip with the family. What These kind of shorter time horizon deals, it's a wonderful time to have cash there. What I am beginning to see are there people are beginning to be tempted to think of cash as a long-term part of their investment portfolio. And I want to challenge that just a bit. Wonderful opportunities for cash to be used when appropriate, but when abused, no bueno. No bueno for my listeners in España. No bueno. So we're going to start with <clears throat> the year that the Federal Reserve Act created a central bank. 1913. With the ability to manage the country's money supply. One dollar bought 30 Hershey's chocolate bars. Goodness me. We move on to 1929 where one dollar buys 10 rolls of toilet paper. We go to 1933 where one dollar buys 10 bottles of beer. 1944, $1 buys 20 bottles of Coca-Cola. Wow. Seems like a value, doesn't it? 1953, $1 buys 10 bags of pretzels. And then 1964, $1 buys one driving movie ticket. Oh, it's not so bad. 1971. That's right. 1971, $1 gets you 17 oranges. We're then going to skip a few here. We're going to skip to 1997, where $1 buys four grapefruits. Whoa. I mean, man, 1997 doesn't seem that far away. I know it was, but wow. 2008, one buck gets you down to two lemons. Yeah. So, you, so can you kind of see what's happening here? You see some of the anchoring, and then um, 2020, one buck gets you like a coffee at McDonald's. A small coffee at McDonald's is that what it says. So... 2020, it says the U.S. money supply grew by $3.8 trillion in 2020, equal to 20% of all dollars ever created. <gasps> yay, yay, yay. Yay, yay, yay. So what are we going to do? Well, we can't find certainty in an uncertain world. So I would just add, if you're seeking to find an identity or you're seeking to find security in money and investing, you're going to be in for it because you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. However, however, if we want to do the very best we can here, 
what that data tells me is we need to have our money in productive assets. Can't just put it in paper, hide it on the mattress, can't just hang out in cash over the long pole in order to really make progress against the powerful inflationary forces that over the long haul exist. It's productive assets that win. It's actually not gold. It's, it's not football cards or Beanie Babies or anything else. It, the simplest and the best solution are productive assets. That's what Mr. Warren Buffett constantly reminds us of. Operating companies that can preserve their pricing power will always be able to survive inflationary environments because they can they have products and services where they can raise their prices appropriately, even in inflation. Even in inflation. Whereas whatever you bought as an inflation hedge, it may or may not be in favor. It may or may not be in favor. 20, 30, 40 years on down the line. So be suspicious of yourself if you're feeling like you want to be a hobbit in the shire and just shove that money in cash and just hide, hide, hide. Eh. Over the long pull. You heard what I read. You went you went all the way from 30 Hershey's chocolate bars to one cup of uh, one cup of small coffee at McDonald's. Alright. Like you went from 10 bottles of beer in 1933 to one little cup of coffee at McDonald's. So it does happen. It does happen. These 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 dollars they erode over time. So what's the solution? What are we to do? Well, I'm so glad you asked. You got to keep those costs low. You got to keep that investing simple. And you got to keep that time horizon long because that is what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey. Until next time.